he's so worthy of any praise that we would give him. Can I tell you, just making it personal this morning, you guys don't know me, but I'll introduce myself later. But as I was sitting down there and I was singing in a group like this, it's pretty easy to say, God, I trust you. But I just felt the Lord's just gentle voice just whisper to me, yeah, but do you, do you trust me when you wake up in the middle of the night worried? Do you, do you trust me when you're laying your head down in bed and all you can think about is all of the things that aren't right in your life? Can I just tell you that in a setting like this, the best thing that's happening about biblical community is your faith inspires my faith to grow. And then my faith inspires your faith to grow. And then your faith inspires your faith to grow. So then therefore in a setting like this, we can say, God, I trust you. Can I tell you some of the problem is when we're laying our head down at bed, we don't have Alec up here singing a song. When we're worried and stressed out during the week, we don't have somebody there. But can I tell you, you've got to learn that this song is more than a song, that it's actual words that we're supposed to say. So I just encourage you when you're in your place, when you're by yourself, can I tell you that the, the, the word of God tells us that the power of life and death is in our tongue. Now listen, fellow believers in the house today, a lot of the times we act like the power of life and death is in our thoughts. It doesn't help when you're laying in bed at night and you're concerned and worried about many things. It doesn't help you to think, I trust God doesn't change anything you've got to open up your mouth and say God I trust you so this morning Lord we as we sing this song as we as we declare it and God in this setting it's incredible and it's wonderful that we get to say God I trust you but God in the moments that we're weak in the moments that we're by ourselves, in the moments that the enemy's attacking us in the moments that we don't know what to do God and things don't always make sense God I pray that we would open up our mouth in those moments and say, God, I, I trust you. And God, I trust you because I called out to you and you answered me. God, a long time ago, God, you spent time with me and you, you worked miracles. And God, I can see in the Bible that you work miracles. I can see in my life that you work miracles. So God, today in this moment, I say, I trust you. Come on, Hope City Church this morning, would you just say under your breath today, would you just say, God, I trust you. You heard them, Lord Jesus. God, I'm praying for all of us in this room that, God, we wouldn't just be able to say, God, I trust you in settings like this, but, God, even when we're worried and concerned, when we're in our house, when we're at our jobs, when we're driving in our cars, God, that that same statement would flow out of our mouth. God, I trust you. So, God, I just declare that we would say we trust you even when we can't see you. God, I say that we trust you, God, even when we can't see you, even when we can't hear what you're saying to us, even when we don't know what the future looks like, God, we still trust you. God, we call out to you, God, and I know that you always answer. You never leave us. You never forsake us, God. Before you formed us in our mother's womb, you knew us and you loved us. And so, God, I pray that we would rest in that and we would put our trust our hope in you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Well, you may be seated this morning.
And I'm excited to be with you. I'm, I'm thankful that, uh, that Pastor Mike uh, called and just reconnected a little bit, um, just a little brief history. The last time I was in Jefferson City uh, was 2007, and I was engaged to my beautiful bride right here. And uh, I was at a youth camp interning, and uh, Pastor Mike was the camp speaker, and that's where our relationship first began. Now, since then, uh, I've gotten the opportunity. I was a youth pastor for 10 years and uh, got to plant a church myself. So much like what you guys are doing here, I planted a church in 2017 in Yukon, Oklahoma. And so we got to do some mobile setup and teardown. Anybody on the setup and teardown team, give it up for those people, right? My hat is off to you. Um, I, uh, I told TK this morning that we did it for almost four years. She said, I knew you were going to say something dirty like that um, because it is, it is some strenuous work. And so thank you to everybody that does that. But we got to plant a church, and God was faithful, and we got to see all kinds of incredible things uh, take place. Uh, we did get the chance to purchase a building, and we moved into that building in January of 2021. Um, God has uh, blessed us. The name of uh, my church is called Family Church, and uh, it feels a lot like uh, Hope City Church uh, right here. So I thank you for allowing us to come. Sometimes you go as a guest speaker and you don't know if you're going to be the odd duck or if they're going to be the odd duck, right? So I'm glad that we are kindred spirits. I'm glad that you, I don't have to look, you guys don't have shock on your face when I get a little excited, okay? Um, I do uh, love to preach. I love to declare God's word. And uh, so I'm excited that I get to do that. Today we're starting a new series called Make Heaven Crowded. How many of you know that that's the, that's the most important thing that we can do? Can I also just take a moment and just stop real quick and just say that we, we when we were mobile set up and tear down, we could hear the kids' church music too. And can I tell you that if I'm really honest, what's taking place back there is probably more important than what's taking place in here. So that's just a push that if you want to join the party, the party's happening back there and back over here. And so I know that there's kids teams that are working hard and they're making an investment into the next generation. And can I tell you, that is very important. Uh, I told my church plant that when we started in the beginning that kids ministry was not babysitting. Kids ministry wasn't, hey, shove them back in a room so that us adults can have a good church service. I told them it was going to be such a high priority that if we didn't have anybody in the kids' church, I would put this mic down, tell the adults to fend for themselves, and I'd go teach the kids. Right? And can I tell you that that's, I know that has to be the most important thing for us. Right? The Bible talks about that there's generations that didn't know about God. Do you know why there's generations that don't know about God? Because nobody tells them about God. We're back there telling them about Jesus. We're back there instilling into them faith, right? Statistics are getting younger and younger and younger. Uh, the statistics actually are by the time that a kid is six years old, 50% of their worldview is already established. Six. And by the time they're 12, over 90% of their worldview is established. If Jesus isn't in their worldview, it becomes very hard to get him in their worldview. So what's happening back there is way more important than what's happening in here, okay? So I make a shameless plug here. If you're not serving in kids' ministry, that's where the party's at. That's where the Holy Spirit's moving. That's where God is doing some incredible things is back there. And so I love that. So if we're going to make heaven crowded this morning, I, I, I believe that what the Lord put on my heart is we have to think and care for our neighbor. Now listen, when I use the word neighbor, some things might come 
uh, to your uh, mind here. Let's see if it works out right here. Like a good neighbor. Oh, yeah, they spent millions of dollars to put that in your brain right there. Okay, so like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now, listen, if you're old enough in this room, then you can also think, won't you be my neighbor? Yeah, we can think of Mr. Rogers. Or maybe right now in your mind, you're thinking about the neighbor that you live next to. Maybe it's a good neighbor or maybe it's a bad neighbor, right? Um, you're thinking about somebody that brings you, I'm thinking about a neighbor right now that brought us sweet treats during Christmas, okay? They're one of those neighbors we don't talk to real frequently, except for when my kids kick a soccer ball over into their yard, they go into their backyard and they leave the gate open, okay? Those are the neighbors that we have, but they brought us a sweet treat um, during, during Christmas, and it was so incredible. And I think about my other neighbors on my other side. They live there, and they're some of my kids' best friends, right? So we think about people that we live next to. But for this morning, I just want us to maybe look at our neighbor a little bit different than what we normally would think of when we say neighbor. So I want us to look at a parable this morning that Jesus taught in the book of Luke, okay? So Bible's written in two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. Luke is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. Old Testament is what was written before Jesus came, right? New Testament is what Jesus, what took place after Jesus came to this earth the first time. So we're in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And I believe this is going to be on the screens uh, for you, but you can also open it up in your Bible app or open up your hard Bible. But Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37 this is what it says. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Now listen, I love when you read the Bible, when you read about Jesus, I love that he asked more questions than he answered, right? So Jesus loves to answer our questions with a question. Right? Can I tell you that's good teaching material. Those of you that are parents in this room, a great way to teach your kids is ask them questions. So it says Jesus replied, but really all he did was ask the man questions. So the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But that wasn't good enough for the expert in religious law. So the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Can I tell you what, if we're not careful what we want to do, and the reason that he asked this question, he wanted to justify himself that he was loving some people and not loving other people. It's the only reason you would ask that question. The only reason you'd ask that question is, Jesus, tell me what the bare minimum is, because I want to do that. Come on, Christians, don't do the bare minimum. Come on, husbands in the room, don't do the bare minimum. Come on, wives in the room, don't do the bare minimum, right? We are called to do more than that. But he says, and who is my neighbor? Because he wanted to justify him. So Jesus replied with a story. Again, he doesn't directly answer the question. He replies with a story, and he says this. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that we get to gather just like this. God, that we get to gather around your word, that we get to gather around friends and family and church family, God. I pray, Lord, that your word would be powerful, that it would be alive, that it would be active, that it would work in our life today, God. My prayer this morning is that we wouldn't just hear the words coming out of my mouth, God, but we would hear from you today. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our minds, God? And I pray that every single one of us, we would leave this place different than when we came in the door. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said Amen. So we can see in the very beginning of this that there's two things that we've got to do. We've got to love God and we've got to love our neighbor. Now listen, when it's talking about loving God, it's not just talking about a shallow love. Do you understand that our English language has really done a disservice to the word love? Because think about this. Uh, I, I love pizza. Anybody in the house? Right, it's good when it's hot, when it's cold, it doesn't matter. When it's a week old, it's still good, all right? That's the kind of pizza that I live in my life. My wife has a general rule of thumb. Pizza after this many days is no longer good. I'm like, dude, if it ain't got anything growing on it, hallelujah, let's eat it, okay? But I can say I love pizza, but I can also, I don't know what country we're in, but do we love the Kansas City Chiefs, anybody, or no? Okay, good, good. My son is a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan in Oklahoma. We don't have an NFL team, so you get to pick any one that you want. And he loves Patrick Mahomes, okay? So he's a Kansas City Chiefs fan, so he was really excited. But I can say I love pizza. I love the Kansas City Chiefs. I can also say I love my wife sitting right here on the front row, Jesse. I can also say that I love God, but how many of you know that I'm using the same word, but I'm meaning slightly different things? Right, And our problem is if I try to love my wife like I love pizza, that's a big problem. Okay, If I try to love God like I love the Kansas City Chiefs when they lose, it causes me to have a bad day. Right? So it's different words. So when we're talking about loving God, we're not talking about some shallow love. That's why he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. We're not talking about a little bit of love. We're talking about the greatest love that you ever have had in your entire life. That's what we're supposed to be loving God with. Then he goes on to say that we should not just have a little love for our neighbor, but we need to love our neighbor like we love ourself. Anybody in this room, do you love yourself? All right, come on, we do. All of you got up and got dressed this morning. You put on clothes. We are all so thankful, okay? I'm glad that you did. We all primped our hair, right? We all, got, we all brushed our teeth, I'm hoping, okay, unless you have some of the habits of my 8- uh, and 10-year-old son. Right? They want to skip out and say they brush their teeth. I finally said, you know what, I don't care if you brush your teeth. If you want all your teeth to fall out and have false teeth, that's fine. It's up to you, man. I suggest that you don't. But we love ourselves. We are called in this scripture to love our neighbor how we love ourselves. When we are hungry, guess what most of the time we do? We eat. 
When we're tired, we sleep. When we're thirsty, we drink, right? We're taking care of ourselves. If you ever want to get to know someone else, just sit down and ask them questions about themselves because everybody's favorite subject to talk about is themselves. We're called to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. The truth is, is that we need to evaluate each day on did I love God and did I love my neighbor? Every day that we live, we should ask our questions. Did I love God today? Yes or no? Did I love my neighbor today? Yes or no? Now listen, Jesus was telling us this parable and it helps us understand how we make heaven crowded. Do you understand how to make heaven crowded? We're not just called to love God, but we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So let's just think about a few things this morning. The first is this, who is your neighbor? When we think about neighbor, we tend to think about people that we live by. But I want us to open our minds just a little bit this morning. Can I ask you this question? Did the Samaritan live next to the Jew? Did he, the Samaritan live next, to or next door to them? No, we don't see any of that. In Jesus' parable, listen, the neighbor was the person that was in proximity to them. It was the person that was close to them. It was the person that they happened to be crossing paths with. It's the person you pass on a regular basis. Can I tell you that your neighbor can be a coworker? Your neighbor can be a friend. Your neighbor can be a classmate. Your neighbor can be a stranger. The truth of the matter is that your neighbor could be any single person that you pass. Now listen, I also want us to pay attention as we're thinking about who is our neighbor, I want us to pay attention to the fact that it's neighbor and not neighbors. See, too many times we're trying to love everybody that we forget that God just called us to love one person. And not just one person ever, but one person at a time. See, a lot of the times us Christians, we sit idle because we think of problems and we say, what in the world would I ever do to that problem? God's not asking you to solve that problem. God's asking you to love a neighbor, one. What's the neighbor that's in your life? Who's the person that you're passing by? That's who God has called you to love. So can I just ask you, who is the neighbor that's in your path? Who's the neighbor when I'm talking about it right now? Who's the person that you think of right now? Who, who did you pass this week? Right? I don't know if people do it uh, here in Missouri, but in Oklahoma, sometimes there's people standing with signs as I'm getting on and off the highway. Do they do that here? Right? Can I tell you that that person, it could be your neighbor? Can I tell you that the person that you're walking down the grocery store, I don't know what your favorite grocery store is. My favorite one is any one that allows me to order online and they put it in my car. Right? But as we're walking down the grocery store because we want to have tacos tonight and we didn't have any tortillas left and your, small, your youngest child will only eat soft tacos. So you go into the store. As you're walking down the aisles, think about all the different people that you pass, right? Those people could be your neighbor. The reality is, is that your neighbor is anybody that comes across your path. Now the second thing this morning is I believe that I just want to encourage you to quit ignoring your neighbor. Now hear me today, you guys don't know me except for the little bit of the story that I've told you and, um, and, and the last 10 minutes that I've been preaching. I am not up here today to try to condemn you. I am up here trying to say that one of the things in my life that the Lord has been putting on my heart recently is I've got to quit ignoring my neighbor. So I'm just sharing with you, we've got to quit ignoring your neighbor. Now listen, the first two people that saw the hurting man, can I tell you that they did nothing for the hurting man? 
Now, Jesus tells this parable, and I believe that he tells it very specifically and on purpose, that the first two people that come across the man, that's the first two people that this expert in religious law would have wanted to help that man, right? Because in the story later on, the person that helps him, he says, then a despised Samaritan comes along. Now, listen, I want to pause just long enough to understand that you know that the Bible is written for you, not to you. Just think about this for a minute. The Bible is the inerrant word of God, and it was written to a specific group of people at a specific time, and then now you and I get to read it. So a lot of the times, you've got to look back into some culture. You've got to read some things. You've got to understand, wait, a Jewish man was walking, then a Levite, then a temple assistant, then a Samaritan. Why would Jesus pick all of those things? You've got to understand that a Samaritan was a half-Jew. He's bringing race into this thing, and we're not going to bring that into it today, but I'm just saying, he says a despised Samaritan. The expert in religious law did not like Samaritans. So Jesus picks, oh, that's the person that's going to help him. Not the two people that should have helped him. So this morning as we're looking at it, we've got to understand that I can tell you in my own life, if I'm confessing my own sins before a church that doesn't even know me, I can tell you that I fall into the category of ignoring my neighbor more often than I would like. Now, I would, I would say that there's some different reasons that these two people didn't help him. I can tell you that in, in, in my own life, when I first read this, I've always, I've, I've preached it multiple times, but recently as I've been looking at it, I have, I have a mentor in my life that was just asking me some different questions about this parable. I've, I've regularly said, well, these two people, they were too busy. Anybody fall into that category? Come on, I'd, I'd love to help you, but I've got to get to this X, Y, or Z event. I've got to get my kids here. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. We, we fill our life so full that there's no margin to be able to love our neighbor. See, and I can tell you that I fall into that. So I, I, I believe that maybe these two could have fell into that trap. They were too busy. Can I tell you that maybe the two that didn't help, maybe they didn't know how to help. Do you hear me today? We, we, we've condemned these two people Right? But when I look, why, why do sometimes I don't do anything about neighbors that I see that are hurting? Sometimes the reason that I don't do anything is how in the world would I help them? Right? Like you see the neighbor that's holding the sign on the side of the street, right? And he's asking, hey, would you help me? Anything will help. Hungry, would you give me some money? Right? You think, well, I mean, I've got a few bucks, but if I give it to you, you're just going to need a few bucks later today. Right? So sometimes we don't know how to help. Can I tell you, I think that maybe there's a chance that the two that were walking by, the reason that they didn't help him is they were afraid to help. Come on, you see a person that's been beaten up, stripped, left half naked, left left for dead, sitting on the side of the road, and you think, well, should I go help them? Well, what if I go help them and the people that did that to him are waiting for me to come help and they're going to do the same thing to me? Right, I'm just opening up our minds here just a little bit. And sometimes we think, I have nothing to offer you. I know what you need, but I don't have anything to offer you. Can I tell you that we've got to learn to overcome some of these things? We've got to learn to overcome them so that we can quit ignoring the neighbor that we come in contact with. And this morning, the last thing that I want to tell you is that you have something to give. I want everybody in this room to understand that when it comes to loving your neighbor, when you're coming across a neighbor, someone that needs help, you have something 
to give. You can help every hurting neighbor you come in contact with. If we're going to make heaven crowded, the only way that we do that is that we learn, hey, there's neighbor, there's a neighbor that's in our path and we can help them. Can I tell you, just take some of the pressure off of you this morning. You don't have to be perfect to help your neighbor. Anybody relieved by that? We're not trying to get to some form of Christianity or closeness with God. And when we get there, then we can help. No, that's not how it works at all. You don't have to be perfect to help. As a matter of fact, God loves to use broken people. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. There was hardly anybody that was perfect. They were messed up. They were sinners. They were people just like you and I. And yet God still used them. Can I tell you that you don't have to have experienced exactly what they're going through to help your neighbor? Sometimes we think, well, I would love to help you, but I've never been fill in the blank whatever they're struggling with. But I just want you to understand that you can help them even if you haven't gone through exactly what they're going through. Can I just tell you that you don't have to be saved for, an ex for a period of time, a certain period of time, before you can help your neighbor? Can I tell you, you could get saved today. You could give your life to Jesus today. You could surrender your life to him today, and you could walk right out of this door, and you could love on your neighbor. You could help someone today. There's not a minimum requirement. So this morning, if you don't leave this church building, this school that is a church building this morning, if you don't leave with anything else, I want you to understand that you have something to give. Think about this right here. If you acknowledge that someone is hurting, isn't that helping? Come on, think about times that you've been hurting. Hasn't been helpful when someone comes along and says, hey, I see that you're hurting and I'm sorry that you're hurting. That acknowledging is helping. Come on, those of you that have gone through a hard time, we have all been there. Isn't just somebody listening to us, isn't that helpful? It's, 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 it's a blessing when someone listens to us. How about this? Is praying for someone, is that helping them? Come on, can I tell you that in the modern world that we live in, what we normally do is somebody's going through a hard time and we pray for them, but why we, we, as soon as we're finished praying for them, we say, hey, is there anything else we can do for you? Almost as if praying wasn't enough. Come on, I'm just telling you things that I deal with. Or in our current culture, I'll tell you what we're great at. We're great at telling people we're praying for them, but never praying for them. That stung a little bit when I said it to me. I try to never tell anybody in a text message or in a phone call that I'm praying for them unless I literally am going to stop what I'm doing and pray for them. Because it's easy to just go, man, I'm praying for you. Sometimes I want to, when people say that, say, well, did you? And, and what did you pray? But praying for someone is helping. I can tell you, the reason that we ask if there's something else that we can do is because we don't normally get to control the outcome of our prayer. Do we not? We... Sometimes we're thankful that God doesn't answer our prayers. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about that? I'm thankful that the Lord hasn't answered some of my prayers because I thought I knew what I needed, but I actually didn't know what I needed. Come on, have any parents that are in this room, do you grant every request of your children? I don't. Because I'm looking at a bigger picture. That's what our Father is doing for us, is looking at a bigger picture. But can I tell you the reason that we love to ask if there's anything else, the reason that we love to take a meal and there's nothing wrong with any of these things is we love to put something tangible in our hands so that we can do it and say, there, now I've helped you. And what it does is it allows us to pat ourselves on the back and we feel better. But sometimes we can do something tangible, but it actually doesn't really help. 
praying for someone is the most helpful thing you can do. Now this morning as I'm concluding, I just want to tell you a story about Acts chapter 3. And this is a story of Peter and John. And I can just tell you, I really love this story. Peter and John, they're on their way to 3 o'clock prayer. How many people want to start that? Right? I don't know how it is in Missouri, but you can have a worship night and, and, and 150 people will show up for a worship night. You can have a prayer night and three people show up. That's not condemnation. I'm just telling you it's reality. Right? So I'll tell you what we've done at Family Church. We just combine the two together. We ain't having worship nights. We ain't having prayer nights. We're going to have prayer and worship nights. And we're going to learn how to pray. We're going to learn how to talk to God. We're going to learn how to listen to God. We're going to learn how to read God's word together. We're going to learn how to pray. Right? So they're on their way to 3 o'clock prayer in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. You can read it later on. And they encountered a lame man. It says that he was lame from birth. And they would bring him to this beautiful gate. And they would sit him down here. And as people were coming to prayer, he would beg them for money. And that's how he made a living. Right? He, he, he would beg them for money. And so here's Peter and John, their disciples. Right? They're following Jesus. Jesus has just died on the cross. He's just rose again. Right? He told them to go and wait for the gift. God gave them the gift. They were filled with power. And now they're going out. And they're going to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock. And they encounter this lame man. And this lame man is begging them for money. And it says that they looked at him intently. Now listen, I like to imagine what that look would look like. The only way that I can imagine it is what my mama used to look at me when I was a kid doing something wrong from across the room. And that look of like, you better stop it. You know what's coming if you don't. And it's like, yes, ma'am. But it says that he looked at the man intently. And it says that the man was expecting to receive money. You understand this is a neighbor that they're encountering. The neighbor is telling them what I need is money. Would you give me money? And it says that Peter looked at him and said, hey, silver and gold I don't have. What you're asking me for, I don't have it. But I'll tell you what I do have. That's in the name of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. Get up and walk. I'll give you what I do have. And it says that he went over and as he picked up the man, it says that his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And that for the first time in that man's life, he stood up and walked. Can I tell you, I can get really excited about that. Because everybody in this room, we have something to give. And that something that we can give is Jesus. Can we just say that you may not have money to give your neighbor even though they're asking for money. You may not have the advice to give them because you've never been through what they're walking through. But you've got Jesus. And you can give them Jesus. And I can tell you, that's what all of us, we've got to do. That's what all of us have to do. Can I tell you that I love in the story of the Good Samaritan, I love thinking about who do you resonate with in the story? Do you find yourself, do you feel today like you're the, you're the Jew that was walking and you've been beaten up, you've been stripped down of your clothes, you've been left half naked, you're going through a hard time, you're saying, I need somebody to come and help me. Or do you find yourself that you're the priest who's walking by and you have a relationship with Jesus and you should help this person but you're going to look at them and walk by on the other side or the temple assistant that does the same thing or do you find yourself saying man I, I'm the good Samaritan 
I'm the person that stops and helps. I'm the person I'm going to give you what I have. I'm going to put you on my donkey. I'm going to take you. Can I just tell you, I had a friend of mine tell me, he was, he was asking me about this parable. And he said, who do you, who do you resonate with? You know? And I was like, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm the, I'm the priest. I'm walking by on the other side. Sometimes I feel like I'm the good Samaritan. Sometimes I feel like just the other day, Jesse and I, we were driving down the road and I saw a man that was stranded in a pretty rough place. So we pulled over and I said, babe, I'm not gonna be able to push him up this hill. You gotta come and help me. So we got out and we pushed his car up over so that he could get out of the way. Right, we stopped, we, we helped him. In that moment, I find myself looking like the good Samaritan, right? Can I tell you in reality, here's where we all are. The good Samaritan in this story, it's Jesus. Think about this for a moment. Jesus is the one that came from that side and he came to this side. And he came so that he could give you the help that you needed. He's helped all of us. Can I tell you, we regularly talk about that my relationship with Jesus has changed everything and made it all better. It doesn't mean that I don't go through suffering. It means that suffering is a whole lot better when Jesus is with me. But can I tell you in this story who we really are? We're the innkeeper. We're the innkeeper that's responsible for caring for the people that Jesus has saved and brought into our life. Can I just tell you, when I think about that, I think that's, that's the person that I am. I don't have the ability to help or save anybody. People that are going through a divorce, I can't help them. People that are struggling with addictions, I can't help them. People that are homeless, I, I, I can't help them. The only thing I can do is like Peter and John, I can give them Jesus and then say, Jesus, the people you're going to bring to me, I'll help take care of them. What I love is that if Jesus is the good Samaritan, he comes, he puts them on his donkey, he bandages their wounds, he puts the, 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 the oil and the wine on them, he, he's the one that's healing the process and he brings them to us and just says, hey, would you just look after them? Can I tell you, that's what a church is. We're innkeepers. We're taking care of people that Jesus brings to us. But can I tell you, it's not one person standing on a stage being an innkeeper. It's you being an innkeeper to the person that you're sitting next to this morning. It's you being an innkeeper to the person that you'll encounter later this week and that you're going you're gonna to tell them about Jesus. You're going to invite them to Hope City Church. You're going to tell them, hey, we've got, we've got the best thing on the planet. His name is Jesus. And when you do that, when you do this, when we learn this as a church, can I tell you, we're going to make heaven crowded. That's what we're going to do. When we learn to love our neighbor, we'll make heaven crowded. Can we pray this morning? God, today we, we come to you, humbly come to you today, God. God, and I'm praying that we would understand this love in our neighbor as ourself. God, I pray that we don't have to be the good Samaritan. You are the good Samaritan, God. You're the one that comes across. You came across the great divide. You were born on this earth as a little baby. 
you grew. You lived a life with no sin and then you died on the cross for our sin. All of our sin, past, present, and future, it was placed on you. All of our guilt, all of our shame, it was put on you so that we could be saved. You're the good Samaritan. You saved us. You came along. We were hurting. We needed to be bandaged up. We needed to be healed up. We needed somebody to care for us. And Jesus, you did that for us. So we thank you for that. Got anybody that's in this room that hasn't experienced that today? They haven't experienced you as Savior. They haven't surrendered their life to you and said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I pray that, Lord, today they would do that. Pray, God, that you would save them. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that if we believe in the Lord Jesus, we will be saved. If we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, salvation comes. So, God, I'm praying for anybody here today that has not experienced that. God, I'm praying that you would save them right now, in this moment, right in their seats where they're at, that, God, you would bring salvation into their life. Thank you, Lord, for doing a work that we cannot do. And then, God, this morning we all come to you. We humbly come. And we say, Lord, would you teach us how to love our neighbor? God, I thank you that you haven't called us to love our neighbors, plural. We're not trying to change every single person. God, we're trying to say, God, if you put someone in our path, God, we want to help them. God, sometimes just smiling at someone and saying hello, God, that's being a good neighbor. God, some, seeing someone that's hurting and feels like they're having a rough day and that's asking, hey, can I pray for you? God, that's being a good neighbor. God, if we have money, if we have finances and we can give it to those that are hurting, God, I, I believe that that's being a good neighbor. God, giving someone a meal or giving someone a ride, that's being a good neighbor, God. Giving a listening ear to someone that's going through some problems, God, that's being a good neighbor. God, I pray that you teach us how. God, this morning I pray that you would forgive me, God, for times that I'm not a good neighbor. God, that I'm not loving my neighbor. For times that I'm in a hurry, for times that I'm scared, for times that I don't know how to help, for times that I think that I have nothing to give them. God, forgive me today. I invite you, anybody, anybody in this room, if you find yourself in that boat, just ask the Lord to forgive you. He'll forgive you right now says that his, his word says that he is faithful and just. He'll forgive you of your sins when you confess them to him. And he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So God, I'm praying that you would do that today. God, we don't have to feel condemned. We don't have to feel beat up. God, we get to just simply say, God, I, I, I come. I repent. Forgive me. And God, you instantly do. 
God, today I pray that you would put a neighbor in our path. God, that we would not ignore them, but we'd realize we have something to give them. God, that we would carry around you everywhere where we go. God, we don't have to have a sermon to give people Jesus. We don't have to, we don't have to know and have memorized the Bible. God, we don't have to pray for a certain amount. God, we can just say, hey, I don't know how to help you except for to just say, my best friend in the world, his name is Jesus, and he'll help you if you'll surrender your life to him. God, if we would just learn to pray, God, if we don't, we don't have to pray long prayers. God, we can pray short prayers. God, I pray that we can pray short prayers to a big God and see you do great things. God, I thank you that, Lord Jesus, you use, you use extroverts in the room and you use introverts. God, I pray that we would carry you everywhere where we go and we'd be giving you away to people. We'd give them Jesus. We'd give them you, God. God, I pray that we would open up our eyes as we're walking. Even today, God, in this moment, today, as we're about to leave this church and we're gonna go, maybe we're gonna have lunch, maybe we're gonna do whatever we do on Sundays, God. Pray that we'd open up our eyes. We would look, we would see our neighbor. God, we'd do something about it. God, I pray that every single person in this room would realize that they have something to give. God, I pray that we would give our neighbor whatever we have, but we would give them you with it. Come on, for just a few more moments before we conclude, and I turn it over to Alec. Would you just, right where you're at, I think it's good when you bow your head and close your eyes, and there's nothing spiritual about that. All it does is help you keep you from being distracted. But right where you're at, would you just, in your own words, would you say, God, teach me to love my neighbor? Would you personalize it? God, teach me. Show me how to love my neighbor. Let me see that I have something to give. God, let me quit filling my life so busy, so so full that I'm too busy to help. God, let me quit thinking that I have to have X, Y, and Z to help a neighbor. Let me quit being afraid to help. Come on, would you personalize it? You know the things that you're struggling with. You know the things. Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you hear your people, that you hear them crying out to you. God, and I pray that you, you're answering them. God, as I seek you, you answered. God, that's why I trust you. I trust you to use me. I trust you to 
use the things that you've given me to love on my neighbor. God, I pray that this would be the start to something great. That God, we would truly make heaven crowded. God, you, you didn't just save us today for our sake. God, you saved us for other people's sake. And because they matter to you, God, I pray that you would use us and that we would truly learn how to love our neighbor. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Come on, let's stand together and sing this one last time.